Uh, who remembers several years ago in Chicago, those week-long 100-degree uh, temperatures that we used to have? I don't think we've had, like, major uh, super hot. I see Bella raising her hand over there. I was thinking even before Bella was born. But uh, back in the 90s when I was a bachelor, I remember there being just a summer just that was uh, completely uh, 100 degrees humidity, 100 degrees like, like for almost two weeks. And uh, I was actually on a missions trip during that time. And so I got to not be a part of that. With our, with, I, was, I was working as a youth pastor in the city of Chicago. And I came back, though, and I was staying in like a garden apartment right off of Ashland Avenue. And uh, I had a student living with me. And we came back, and it was so hot and it was so muggy. Uh, we did not have air conditioning. And so we did not look forward to getting back. Uh, we had bars on our windows, so it was really even some of the windows weren't even able to be open just for safety reasons. Uh, and so it was just really interesting. But when I came back, it uh, there was a bunch of it was weird because every time you know we kind of would get up and do something, or you go in the kitchen, or you go somewhere, there was these little uh, little little bugs flying around. Uh, some people call them fruit flies, gnats, or l- l- looking things. And they were just kind of flying around, and we would see them, and we'd, we'd like kill them, you know, snap at them, and just kind of like hit them. And, and uh, finally, it just got to be like annoying. After like a day or two, we just, you know, kind of kept saw- seeing these things. And uh, I was like, you know, what's going on here? And uh, we, we actually bought some, some spray, you know, to kind of spray the whole area, kind of defog the thing. And, and you know, and, and we were right next to the laundry room, which is in the basement, you know, one of those doors that kind of goes out in, like, to the, uh, to the laundry area. We checked over there, nothing going on there. And, uh, but it was just, it, it continued to be in the house, and it just got to be really annoying. I think it was, like, three or four days. And then finally, you know, being a bachelor, you know, how do you cook your food? The microwave, and so I had some frozen food, and uh, I, I went to the, my microwave, popped it open, and oh my goodness. I don't know if you've ever saw the movie Creep Show, where it's just like hundreds of just like these m- m- bugs just all over. What had happened was a friend of mine had given me a spinach pie right before we left for the missions trip, like two weeks ago. <laughs> And that thing had been sitting in the microwave. I don't even know how it got into the microwave with us not even remembering that we had heated it up or whatever. And it was, it was, but it was just like so many bugs. I'll be honest with you. The first thing out of my mouth was probably not something very good. Uh, and I slammed the door shut and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I unplugged the microwave and I took it out into the, into the, like the yard, which is like a cement yard. And I'm just like, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to throw away this microwave. You know, and it was just like, it was just, cause it was just crawling with all these bugs and it looked like maggots. And it was just so disgusting. And uh, anybody ever have something like this happen to them? (laughs) Well, I share this story with you because for days I had no idea, you know, where it was coming from. What was the source? And, you know, Jesus, one of his most unpopular um, verses in Matthew 15, he says, out of the heart comes deceit. Remember uh, at the beginning of our service this morning, uh, Luke talked about, he prayed about the deceit that's in our hearts and we and give us clean hands. Jesus, you know, as, as, as much as he loved people and as much as he loved us and sacrificed for us, he did not shy away from telling us who we really are. And he even said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. He said out of the heart is where sin originates. It comes out of the heart. So lust, adultery, greed, lying, cheating, it's out of the heart. And I share that with you this morning because we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at what, the, what does it look like to have a spirit-filled church? What does a spirit-filled church look like? We're doing a series right now on unfinished church on purpose. We're going through the book of Acts. I hope you'll join us. I've talked to already some of you who are reading through the book of Acts on your own, and that's fantastic. And, and today is going to be a little bit of a, of a scary thing here because it's, it, we're going to be looking in the mirror here and we're going to be looking at God's word and we're going to be looking like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you're going to feel a little bit of a disconnect because you're going to see the early church has uh, a lot of things going on that are powerful and, and the evidence of them being spirit-filled is a lot different than what, often what the American church looks like. And so I wanted to start this morning by <clears throat> talking to you about the heart. Because the gospel is that God changes our heart. It's not us going around trying to 
Stop that sin. Stop it. Stop swearing. Stop looking at that. You know, stop the lies. You know, try to be a good person. Try really hard. You know, it's, it's getting to the core of the issue. And what we just did with communion is a reminder of what Jesus did for us. Look at Ezekiel 36. If you're there, verse 25. I know it's kind of like you're like, whoa, what is this going on here? This is the promise of the new covenant. It's one of my favorite passages. It's, it's the promise to the, to, to, to the people of Israel, to God's people at that time, that there's going to come a time where the, the treadmill, uh, the religious treadmill of you trying to be good and trying to get God on your side, trying to be blessed, and then you, 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 you feign religion, you feign it all, and you say, God, okay, okay, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Come, come into my life. And then he's, he, he's so gracious, he loves us. He would deliver the Israelites, and then he would bless them, and then what would they do? They would forget them, like you and I do. And then they would go back to living for their idols, and then they would get enslaved to their idols and enslaved to other countries, and then they'd cry out to God, and then God would, 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 would send a deliverer, you know, and then they would be free, and then they would experience peace, and then they would get riches, and then the land would be bountiful, and then what would they do? Forget God again, yeah, back to the, So that's the treadmill of the Old Testament, by the way, of, the, of, of God's people. And some of us, that's kind of how we live. That's how we do the whole religion thing. It's like, yeah, God, if I have a problem, I go to you. You know what, God, it seems like you always, you know, you always come through. And then there's those that he doesn't come through in circumstances, the immediate circumstances. And then he's like, well, I don't even know if I believe anymore. But those of us who, who see him come through and then we forget and then we go back and it's like this treadmill. And, and, Jesus, and, and, and uh, Ezekiel, the prophet, God through Ezekiel said these words to say, hey, you know what? It's not always gonna be like this. When the Spirit comes and when Jesus comes, this is what's going to happen. So look at Ezekiel 36 with me, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water. This is, by the way, God talking to his people, Israel, what he's going to do in the future. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean, yes. Now, hey, guys, uh, the scriptures are in, they might, actually, they might be in your, on your bulletin digital, longgrovecommunitychurch.org uh, slash bulletin. But I hope you guys have your Bibles. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Who is the one acting in this passage? Who is the, it's all God. It's all what God is gonna do. And that's the gospel. Religion is, I try hard to please God. I try hard to look good in front of others. Christianity is the only religion that emphasizes grace and says, no, you can't, our hearts are wicked. God has done that. He has provided a way for a clean heart through Jesus Christ, death on the cross. And when we receive him, remember in Acts chapter two, as we learned last week, what happened? When the Holy Spirit fell on them, they began to speak in tongues. They began to say in other languages. People began to communicate in their native tongue, hearing other people. And then Peter gets up and he says, this is not people drunk. This is people that this is, this has come from the Old Testament. This is the promise that God would pour out his spirit on all people. And they look at him and they're like, well, then what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent and believe in what Jesus has done for you. And you will receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. Isn't that good news? Yeah. That I, I was able to actually clean that microwave. I really was. I didn't think I'd ever, I didn't want to, <laughs> you know, uh, but I did. And then that microwave went on to be used by me. And you know what? The spinach pie was removed. I, li I love this, this verse. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God, that's what God does when we surrender. The hard part is surrendering, isn't it? All right, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you again that you have given us everything we need in Christ Jesus. You are the one who cleanses our hearts, Lord. You don't just cover it up. 
We're not here playing the cover-up game today where we cover up our stains, we cover up our mistakes, we cover up our sin. Lord, we know we got it. We know we have the sin, but we thank you that you are the one who cleanses us. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, if there's anyone here who has never received your spirit and believed in Jesus, that they would, that today could be the day of salvation. And I pray for those of us who are just kind of going through the motions, slapping at the gnats, trying to kill fruit flies. Lord, I pray that we would let you in to be the cleansing agent again and again as we come to you and we ask for your grace. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word at Acts chapter 2, that you would give us your spirit, give us open hearts, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to do uh, verses 42 to 47. Yeah, that was the intro, by the way. Um, so those of you who are like, hey, this might be over. Uh, <laughs> we're, you know, we're talking about a touchy subject today. We're talking about the F word. Uh, yeah, fellowship. No, not the other F word. The F fellowship. I just want to keep you guys awake on a regular basis, okay? Fellowship. When I think of fellowship, I think of the fellowship hall in churches where you have potlucks, where you have the children's program. Anybody go to a church one time where underneath the, the sanctuary there was something called the fellowship hall? Am I the only one? Thank you, Luke. All right, yes, I see that hand. Um, yes, we're going to talk about fellowship. We're going to talk about, you know, Basically, the, the message today is this, a spirit-filled church that has been transformed by the gospel message will be continually devoted to the Lord, devoted to his people, and to his mission in the world. Now, I could have just said a healthy church is devoted to God, devoted to his people, and devoted to the mission. And you'd be like, okay, I'm going to do all these things to get healthy. No, a spirit-filled church transformed by the gospel message has the gospel captured your heart? Have you ever yielded to the spirit of God? When we do that, and when the gospel gets a hold of us, that's when we, the, the, the overflow, the result, the evidence is devotion to the Lord and devotion to his people, fellowship, really sharing things in common, connecting with others. I like the person who once said, we, you know, we all love God, it's his people we can't stand. <laughs> it's messy, isn't it? It's messy living, uh, living with people. Those of you who are married, you know it's the most difficult thing in the world. Two selfish people coming together and giving each other to one another. All right? Uh, it is most, actually, it's not the most difficult thing. I, I would say raising kids in today's culture is probably more difficult. Uh, you even have to be more selfless. I love this, uh, this story. A man was marooned on an uninhabited island. 25 years later, he was rescued. But the rescuer noticed that there were three huts on the island. What's that one for, he asked. That's where I live, said the, the rescued man. What's the other one for? That's where I, I go to church. <laughs> well, what's the other one for? He goes, that's where I used to go to church. Ooh, ooh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, not good. It's unrealistic to expect that everyone in a church will want to have close fellowship one another, with one another. After all, it's a good thing that my nose and my armpit don't have close fellowship. You know, we're the body of Christ. Here's a fun one. 12 reasons why I don't go to sporting events anymore. I'm so, you know, every sermon I always have to get this in. The Dodgers are opening up this week at full, full capacity. I'm so excited. If any of you guys want to go to a Dodger game with me, uh, provide the plane and we'll go. Uh, but uh, 12 reasons why I don't go to sporting events anymore. Every time I went, they asked me for money. Number two, the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. The seats were very hard. Number four, the coach never came to visit me. The referees made a decision I didn't agree with. I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. The band played some songs I had never heard before. The games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. My parents took me to, to too many games when I was growing up. <laughs> Since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyway. And here's the number 12. I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Oh, goodness, yeah. So we're talking about our relationship with the church. And uh, what we're going to see here next, too, is that when you're spirit-filled and transformed by the gospel, uh, you're devoted. You're devoted to God and you're devoted to his people. 
Let's look at it. Let's look at verses 42 to 47 and Acts chapter 2. I hope you have your, your scriptures. Keep it open. We're going to refer to it consistently. Um, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, if you have any other version than ESV, it just says, and to prayer. But in the literal translation, it literally says the prayers. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a moment. And they devoted themselves. This is, again, the early church. They're newborns, so they're not mature, but they do have their priorities in place. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Number one, a spirit-filled church is uh, transformed by the gospel, that is transformed by the gospel message is, is, uh, is continually devoted to God, okay? Uh, look at what it says here. It says, the risen Lord was central to all that was happening in this new church. The word translated continually devoting there points to constancy, purpose, or resolve. There's 10 uses of the verb and in, in one use of the noun in the New Testament, and six of them are connected with prayer, being committed to prayer. Two with the ministry of the word, what are you devoted to? Here's a fun question that might not be so fun. Anybody ever have a foreign exchange student live with them? There you go. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? If a foreigner or an alien, this is always fun, an alien spent every hour with me for two weeks and they didn't eat me. Uh, <laughs> if a foreigner or alien spent every hour with me for the next two weeks, what would they conclude I am most devoted to? Okay, if that sounds weird, just say a foreign exchange student came and lived with you, and they just watched what you and I did. Would it be that little box, that little screen? Would it be that computer? Would it be this little box? <laughs> Anybody get their uh, Apple report of what their weekly uh, screen time was? Anybody get, like, upset about that, that you're continually, like, several hours a day? Yeah, it's not, it's interesting. But what are we most devoted to? In what ways is the gospel message motivating and transforming me? They were devoted, number one, to the apostles' teaching. That means they were devoted to, they were devoted to the word of God, okay? That's so important. There's 3,000 new converts at all. This would be a pastor's dream, but it would also be a nightmare because you'd have to try to disciple them. Jesus didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. The reason being is, is if you come to Jesus and you put your faith in him, and you get spirit-filled, but you don't know who it is you're trusting in, you don't know this God, you're not grounded and rooted in the word, you'll probably fall away when persecution comes. You'll probably follow some misunderstanding, some type of cult. I had a gentleman call me this week and just drill me on the phone about how Jesus is not God. How can we believe that Jesus is God? Now, he had no desire to have a conversation, to hear my points, to hear what the Bible says. He was stuck, and he was really, I don't know where he was coming from exactly, but he just called to basically argue and call me an idiot because I believe that Jesus was God. Now, I know we don't normally have those type of conversations, but there's a lot of people out there who are confused about who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is, and could you defend that in the Word of God? Uh, there was a, a, a seminary prof who uh, a few years back traveled around in a motorhome visiting churches, and he wanted to visit all the large and growing churches to see what were the components that were making them large and growing, you know? And he came back with a list of 15 characteristics, and one of the, uh, the, 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 the upcoming pastors in his class looked at the list and said to him, huh, I noticed that on this list uh, that all these churches have in common, which is helping them to grow and be large, 
Now, one time on this, no, nothing on this list says anything about solid biblical teaching. And he, when we questioned him about this, he shrugged and said, it didn't seem to be a prominent factor in these growing churches. Does that, does that worry you? I can tell you we are in the shadow of huge megachurches. And I can tell you as much as I love them and work with them and care for them and because they are the body of Christ and we should serve them and we should, we should be together with them, many of them have said within the last 10 or 20 years, we did it this way, but we didn't make disciples. We, did, we were really good at bringing them in with our coffee and our great music and our relevant teaching, but we're not making disciples. And that could be true here too, if we're not careful. So solid biblical teaching. Uh, it's interesting, you know, we're, we live in a culture today where it doesn't matter what you believe. It's all whether you feel it or experience it, right? You know, that's kind of the, the, the thing. But, you know, when you read Scripture, it's not like that. Paul, in his last three letters to Titus and Timothy, what does he over and over again say? He exhorts Timothy and all the elders to, be, to guard the faith, guard sound doctrine, okay? Now, I know some of us are educated beyond our obedience, all right? And I heard Dell say that to me this week. Uh, he got that from another pastor, but it's, it's true. And that's a sad fact in our culture, in our Christian culture, but sound doctrine is essential. Let, let, let me read you what he said. First Timothy, he, uh, he says, in the final appeal to Timothy, in Second Timothy, he says this. He gives the strongest pop possible admonition. He says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. And then he says this. He says, there's going to come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine but will accumulate teachers who tell them what they want to hear so that their itching ears can be satisfied. So be careful. We as a, if you want to be spirit-filled and, and, and transformed by the gospel message, an evidence of that is you are committed to the word. Are, are we in the word of God daily? Okay. How many of you have listened to a sermon online or a podcast uh, outside, of, uh, outside of a Sunday morning in the, in the last month? Anybody here? Yeah, that's a healthy thing to do. It doesn't have to be our sermons. Make sure it's somebody of, that's preaching the word, okay? Um, but, you know, I think this idea of just coming and hearing a sermon on Sunday and that's my feeding time, that's, that's not good. <laughs> you know, if I only ate once a week, you know, what would I look like? <laughs> not, not too, not, you know. And, 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 and some of us eat through sermons, okay? But that's like going out at a restaurant and somebody preparing the food for you. And what happens if you keep eating out all the time? You become like me, the bachelor with frozen food <laughs> and spinach pies in the microwave that somebody gave me that are rotten. No, but if you only eat, if you eat out all the time, number one, you're going to go broke pretty soon. Uh, but number two, you're not going to learn how to eat for yourself. So we need to be devoted to God's word. As we're doing summer services this, sun, this summer, please bring your Bible, you know, uh, at the very least, be on it with your phone. Look at it. You know, there was a group of people in the, in the book of Acts called the Bereans, and they always questioned what Paul said. Not in a sarcastic, cynical way, but they always, the Bible, it says, and Luke says that they went back and they looked at the scriptures to make sure that what he was saying was accurate, what Paul and Peter were saying. The Bereans. They've actually, there's actually a movement now called the Berean Church, and they have a website, and there's a, it's a really solid website. Uh, that, that gives answers to questions about sound doctrine. All right, we need to move on. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to corporate worship. They were, the preaching of God's word should always result in worship. That's the purpose of it. And that it, it, and that it, sh it should encounter, it's an encounter with God himself. I won't ask for a hand raised, but I did a question of the week a week ago. I sent it to most of you. How do I read the Bible to meet with God? That's so important. We don't read our Bibles just to get more information. And some of you who are young Christians, you need information. You need to understand the, the basics. But we read the Bible to meet with God. His word is living and active. So it's an, it, but they were committed to, to corporate worship. What does it say? It says they were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship and to the prayers. Now, the breaking of bread has traditionally been uh, interpreted as communion. I think a very strong case can be made that in this context, it's probably that they were meeting together in homes quite a bit, common meals.
But I think also you could also say that very often in the New Testament when it says they met together and broke bread, they also, they also shared communion. So when they had these meals, they shared communion. That, that's so important, okay? Because what they're doing is they're saying this is, we're, we're celebrating the presence of God. The Lord's Supper should remind us of the greatest truth in the world, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself up for me so that I could be forgiven and rescued and reconciled to God. So practicing regular communion was, was probably part of their thing. And here's the thing. They didn't go to the synagogue for this. They were meeting in homes, okay? They were meeting in homes for the most part or meeting in the streets or in, in, in the temples. They were meeting wherever they could gather. It says um, they came to, to, to church gathering, expecting to be in God's presence and expecting to be used by God. Let's ask this question. Why do you, what do you come to church expecting? Is it a good sermon and some good music? Sometimes we can fall into that trap. But then if we don't like the music or we don't like the preaching, where does that leave us? Or if we do like the music and we do like the sermon, but we don't do anything with it, where does that leave us? <laughs> Are you expecting to meet with God? Are you going to, to small group, to life groups, full of the Spirit, ready to be used, or are you going just to hang out with some friends? We, uh, we had our students uh, this week uh, look at this passage and discuss it in, in small groups, and we asked them, what is the disconnect? What makes it so hard to live out this passage in today's world? And all of them, in different groups, all basically said the same thing. We only see each other once a week. We're not actually doing life together outside of the program, you know? And that begs the question, are we really friends? Do we really care about each other? We did a whole segment on do we even care about each other? You know, does anybody really care about me? The early church, see, something happens when you get spirit-filled and you're transformed by the gospel. You start actually caring about other people. You really do. It just, it, you, you get, it, it changes the emphasis on self. I honestly think we have a severe problem in church, in American church, when we expect, when we come to church. We're meeting with God. People stand with coffee cups during worship. There are multiple things in the Bible people do in the presence of God. But holding coffee cups isn't one of them, okay? I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blasting that, but we just got to be careful. We got to be careful, don't we? What does it say in verse 43? Look at it. It says, awe came upon every soul. When was the last time you were taken back by the, uh, with awe? The word literally is, is a holy fear of God. It's like, wow, this is God. Now, it says that, the, that they, they, the awe was primarily at this point coming from the signs and wonders that the apostles were doing. And so we have to be honest and we have to say, okay, biblically speaking, the, the, oh, there's people over here. Hi. Hi, Dave. Hi, Elaine. Cool. Sorry. All right. Um, biblically speaking, this was a unique time. The apostles were doing a lot of stuff, and the apostles are not, uh, not walking around anymore. God was building his church. And there are some people that believe that signs and wonders and miracles don't still exist. Uh, they base that, a lot of that on Hebrews 1, 2, and 3, which I don't really see as, I think that's more about revelation, that Jesus is the final revelation. Um, but uh, we do know that in Corinthians, Paul said that, there, that you have different, there's different gifts, and so I know that we at this church, many of us on staff believe that the gifts do still exist. And we see them happening. We see God working. I've seen people healed. Okay, it, it's happening. It tends to happen more in other churches that are, are, are often separated from God's revelation. It often tends to happen on the mission field. I've seen it happen on mission trips that I've been on where God instantaneously heals people and people are saved. And so, you know, one of the questions I want to ask you is if you're not experiencing God, Maybe it's because you're moving in a direction that he isn't. You know, this whole message, this whole sermon series is called Church on Purpose. And, and we're, we're supposed to be a movement. God created a movement that was a, with a mission. And, you know, most of us, we just, you know, we just see church as something that we come to to get inspired. I like to use the example of a boxer in a ring. Somebody once used the analogy that um, church is kind of like, you know, we're boxing all week long, getting our, getting our butts beat in, getting our face beat in. And then on Sundays, we, we go back to the, uh, what do you call it, the corner, and our trainer is there kind of patching us up. And then we go back out there and we fight all week. 
You know, that's an interesting analogy, you know, and all analogies break down. But that's a sad one because you know what that means? There's no training. I haven't been training. I'm just giving. I'm just getting, I'm just getting pummeled. And then once a week, the guy in the corner says, yeah, keep going. Here, smell this. Okay. <laughs> and we go on. You know, that's not, I think, what the, what the biblical picture of church is. You know, and there's a lot of different biblical pictures of church. It's a hospital for, for sinners, for the wounded. But it's also an army. It's a training ground. And if we're not building ourselves up to seek God and to follow him and getting trained to live on purpose... How many of you have ever read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? It was a bestseller many years ago. Had one of our students read it uh, not too long ago. It impacted them greatly. I'd encourage you to revisit it. I think sometimes we lose sight of our purpose. All right, moving along here. How are you guys doing? I need to get a stretch, get a stretch break, go grab a Tootsie Roll. Brad, did you leave a few? No, okay. All right, they were devoted to prayer. Uh, and this, you know, most commentators believe that because it says the prayers, it was a corporate sense of prayer. It wasn't just I'm going to pray by myself. It was going to pray with others. Whether in a large meeting or from house to house, prayer was the fabric of everything. The prayer meeting. If you know anything about church history and you know anything about the book of Acts, everything was, every revival, every movement of God, every outpouring of God's spirit was birthed through prayer. Very often, it was birthed through prayer with young people seeking God. A lot of revivals in this country and in England and in, and in, and in uh, Scotland and Wales. It was young people seeking God. The prayer meeting, it's so important. What's keeping you from praying with other believers? I don't know about you, but on my own, sometimes I don't feel like praying. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, I don't feel like praying. There's a lot of times where I don't feel like it, all right? If I did whatever, the, if I, whatever I felt like, I'd probably be divorced, broke, and on the streets. You know? But why do we pray together? Because, number one, there's power in Jesus' name when we gather, wherever two are gathered. Number three, we need encouragement. I need to be around other people. I love to hear other people pray. It's not a show. It's not a performance. It's just crying out to God. Basically, what prayer is is total dependence on God. Are you growing in your prayer life? You know, what does that look like? I would encourage you to be part of praying with other believers. Acts 3 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time for prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Most commentators believe that when they got spirit-filled and they were transformed by the gospel, they started to take prayer seriously. And they started to pray. These Jewish believers started going to the temple and practicing their prayers. I hate to say it, but sometimes Muslims blow us away at this. And I don't even believe they're, tr they're praying to the true God. They're not praying to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But they're very dedicated to praying. And it's not who you, it's not just praying, it's who you pray to, but I would say it's important for us to pray. All right, let's move on. Number two, a spirit-filled church is not only tra by the, is transformed by the gospel, is not only devoted to God, his word, to prayer, to worship, um, but it's all, they're also devoted to each other. Look at what it says, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the fellowship. We cannot be devoted to the head, who is Christ, and at the same time cut ourselves off from the body, our church. <laughs> it's kind of like this. This is like a, a young man who says to his date, man, you have a gorgeous face, but your body is gross. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. That would be the last date with her, Okay. But you know what? We sometimes do that with the body of Christ, don't we? We say, I love Jesus, but his church, you know, those church people are really weird, you know? <laughs> and then you know what? It, church, church life is messy. If you guys ever start getting involved in fellowship with other people, it will become messy. You will become hurt, okay? You, and, and you're going to have to guard against bitterness. You're going to have to guard against cynicism. And you know what? The same people who hurt you have the same in them that you have in you that could hurt other people, okay? So, you know, don't, 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 let's not throw stones here. But it says this, all those who believe, the, 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 the word that's re repeated over and over again in these passages is, is together, together. All those who believed were together and had all things in common. The Lord was adding to their number together to those who were being saved. What does this word fellowship mean? 
It basically, you ever heard the word koinonia as the Greek term? It means to share in common together, okay? Now, in the, in, the, in the context of the book of Acts and in the New Testament, it means there's a unique sharing. Jesus said that we are the church, we are his body, so that when somebody comes to you, uh, it comes to Christ, they're your brother or sister. You remember the story with Jesus when he um, uh, was preaching and his mother and his brothers were outside? And some of them didn't even believe in him at the time. And they were calling and they were yelling. And then somebody comes up to him and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are waiting for you. Anybody remember what he said? He said, whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother. Jesus redefined family as being the body of Christ. When we believe, we become brothers and sisters. Now, I know you guys didn't choose your family, but you grew up with them. And the same is true as you don't choose your family with the body of Christ, but we are, belie- we are brothers and sisters. And scripture, Jesus teaches this, that, we, that the bond that we share is even stronger than human family. Now, in our culture, family is an idol sometimes. And we, we say, there's nothing. You know, how many of you have ever said this to your kids or your parents said this to you? You can't trust anybody except family. <laughs> is that from the Godfather? No. Hey, hey, you can only trust. But yeah, we, 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 we have this, and this individual ruggedness in our culture, the American dream, it's all about me pursuing ahead. It's contrary to what we see here in Scripture. What's going on here? Uh, let me give you just a quick uh, sharing. Uh, Philippians 2.1 uses the same word, fellowship. He says, because you've shared in the same spirit, make my joy complete by being like-minded, being, you, being one. Later on in, uh, in, in 1 Peter, he says, we want to share together in Christ's sufferings. This word fellowship, it means to share. Guess where it's most used in the New Testament? Sharing material goods. The definitive mark of how we love one another is sharing with those in need. And that's, that's, that's what's happening here in the church. It says, uh, no one who receives instruction in the word must, uh, now the one who receives instruction in the word must share all good things. Uh, Paul talks about sharing. Um, it says, all who believe were together and held everything in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Now, this is not socialism because this is willful, and it's coming from where? It's coming from the heart. It's coming from a transformed heart. People wanting to give. Uh, Acts 4, later on, it says, There was no one needy among them because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing them at the apostles' feet. The proceeds were distributed to each as, as anyone had need. Joseph, a Levite, who was a native of Cyprus, called by the apostles Barnabas, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. Selling all of one's possessions was not a command to all saints for all times, even though it was the practice of the early church. Okay? And this goes right in line with what Jesus said many times. Give to those who are in need. Sell it. You know, the the rich young ruler, he put his finger on that guy's heart. And he said, if you really want to follow me, let go of your riches because your riches have you. The point here is that we should be generous and we should be sharing. And I want to commend Long Grove Community Church for being a church that does this. You know, we have a family blessing fund, and many of you give towards it, and it, and it helps families in need. You know, now many families in our church cannot afford a vacation. Uh, I know one family that is in desperate need of a car, okay? Um, and, you know, when you guys give to the family blessing fund, it doesn't go to vacations, but it goes to people in need who are hurting and, and, and have issues with groceries and issues with stuff that they need for a car repair, and I want to say thank you guys for giving towards that. That's such, it's so powerful that you guys do that. But that's a sign, that's an evidence that God is transforming your heart. And it's an evidence of the early church. It's what they were devoted to. It says, look at this phrase, glad and generous hearts. Glad here implies joyfully satisfied. They gave away their money and were happy about it because they had found something better than money. Let me say that again. They gave away their money to those in need because they found something better than money. 
This is the exact opposite we are as often as a culture, isn't it? They say that Germans save 10% a year. Bert and Carrie, are you guys doing lunch today? All right, is lunch on you guys? Americans save 0.5% per year. We're not talking about giving. More than that, not only do we not save, we, do, we often go into debt, which is like reverse saving. We spend on average $1.26 for every dollar earned. 71% of all credit card balances in the U.S. have only the minimum monthly payment made. Now, some of you who are sleeping, you just kind of woke up because <laughs> I'm talking about money. I won't be talking about sex today, but that might wake you up. I don't know. The evidence of the gospel has taken root as a glad and generous heart. Remember when Paul and Peter were in prison? What are they doing in prison? They're singing praise and they're sleeping. Paul sings in prison and he sleeps. Why? Because these are signs of joy and contentment. Paul wrote most of his letters to us, Ephesians, Philippians, in jail. He said, I have a joy. I've learned the secret of being content. They found something better. They found something in God that was better than comfort or money or even personal freedom. These early Christians found more joy in sharing with each other than they did in possessing stuff. How much joy could you have if you didn't spend anything? <laughs> I don't want to throw my wife under the bus, but husbands, you want to ask your wives that question sometimes? <laughs> All right. How much joy could we have if we didn't spend anything? Are you glad and generous in God or in your stuff? Many people can't be generous because they worship the very thing they are supposed to be giving away. Ooh. All right, how do I have fellowship? Number one, I have to have, uh, to have fellowship, I must be truly saved. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. This fellowship is unique. You need to have a transformed heart. You have put your faith in Jesus. Yes, there are many people in the church who are not truly saved. God, the Bible says that God allows the wheat and the tares to grow up together. And that's why we, we preach the gospel and we, and we bid you to come to Christ every week. Uh, you have to be together to experience fellowship. You have to spend time together. Just like our students said, we need to spend together outside. That's why we do life groups. You, you really will not grow. You'll, I, I will say this. You will not even experience Christianity until you have gotten involved with, with other people in an intimate way and in some type of group beyond the large group. They met in large groups. They had corporate worship, but they also met in the home. We call them life groups here. When I first started calling them that, I got a lot of, what's that word, pushback. Do you know why? Because it's easier to do a Bible study than it is to do a life group. Most people want a Bible study. You know why we want a Bible study? Because we don't want to get involved with each other's dirty laundry. <laughs> we don't want to be, you know, doing all the one another's. Bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, love one another, you know, all those one another's, you know, that are in the, in the New Testament. It's easier just to come to a Bible study, get your fix and leave. Life groups is what they did. They, they had the word, they did Bible study, but they did life together. And that's what fellowship is. To have fellowship, we must be truly saved. We must be together, okay? And, uh, And we must share together in the things of God. I'm going to skip that so we can get to our last point. A spirit-filled church transformed by the gospel message is devoted to God, devoted to each other. And the last one is this, devoted to God's mission in the world. Look at what verse 47 says. You guys still there? You got your Bibles open? Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was this passion for worship, a passion to praise God. You know, and I know that praising God doesn't come easy when you're in difficult circumstances. It has to be a choice. David was often in caves and he wrote the Psalms. He was running for his life and he was saying, my heart is steadfast. God, you are in control. I will hope in you. Sometimes he was honest with his, with his negative emotions and he said, God, where are you? My tears have been my food all night and day long. But yet I will hope in you. You are my rock, my fortress. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, we are going a little bit of a transformation as a church. I've heard some people say, you know, I wish there was more hymns or I wish we 
met here, or I wish we did this. And by the way, those of you who wanted more hymns, we actually sang two hymns today. Might even sing another one. Um, but here's the thing. The issue is, is praising God. And one of the reasons why we do hymns is because they praise God. But all songs are, are meant to praise God. And the emphasis needs to be on who he is, not on what we get. If you approach life group and church about what you get, you'll miss it. The New Testament church was giving. They were giving. And you say, well, I can't keep giving. I'll end up empty. Well, that's why we stay connected to him. Let me just say this. 80% of what happens meaningfully on a Sunday morning worship service here is determined by your walk with the Lord and your personal worship before you come. Again, going back to the boxer analogy, if all you got is that one week, that one little, what is it, how many, how many minutes do you get in the, with the trainer in the corner? Like a, a minute? Maybe two minutes, right? If that's all you got, no wonder why it's so hard. I would say, you know, whatever you can do, especially during the summer months when some of you have more time, take time for personal worship to praise him. Astronomers tell us that when we see a star, we're actually seeing the light that was generated a long time ago. The light we're seeing in the present is from another time. The church is kind of like that. It is light in the present from the past. The generosity of the cross fuels us to be light. And in the future, the unity of the kingdom. The church is to be a sign to all the earthly powers that the gospel and its promises are true, that God is real, that Jesus is Lord, and that the cross and the resurrection really happened. Quick quiz, John 13. Jesus said, by, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What's the this? Our love, but our love for who? One another. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier to love other people that we don't know that well than it is to love our own church. And Jesus said, no. John 17, his last prayer was this. God, I pray that the body would be united in love so that they would be a witness to the world. And that puts the honest on us to be spirit-filled and transformed by the gospel. As we bring this home today, I want to ask you uh, where you're at with this. Is God giving to you? Have you received the Spirit? What is the scariest thing about yielding to the Spirit of God for you? These people in Acts, they were devoted. Now, I know that I just want to say this real fast. They were not fully mature yet. You know, it says at the end of 47 that, uh, they, that they, they had favor with all the people. Well, guess what? By Acts 7, what's going to happen? They're going to be persecuted. Uh, all the evangelism seems to be done in the, in the early chapters by the apostles. That's not going to happen in the future, okay? God wants all of us to do evangelism. Uh, and, and in the book of Acts, they're all going out and doing stuff. Uh, there's a lot of things. Church discipline. There's no church discipline in Acts 2, but in Acts 5 there is. Somebody lies about the money that they bring, and God strikes them dead <laughs> to, to shake the reality of what this is. This is not a game. This is not, you know, a bunch of, it's not a social club. This is a church. This is the people of God. This is serious. So, you know, in some ways, this is like a honeymoon. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 is like a honeymoon. And you know, in a honeymoon, everything seems great, right? But as we, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see there's going to be some hard times. I don't even know if they would have invited, if, if a Gentile would have shown up to these meetings with a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. I don't know if they would have welcomed them <laughs> in Acts chapter 2. But by Acts 15, they're like, you know what? Hey, Jews and Gentiles are one. Your race and your, your ethnicity should never divide you, your worship of God. Jesus Christ came to bring everybody together. But they did have some priorities right. They were devoted to God, they were devoted to each other, and they were devoted to his mission. They gave themselves to these things. There, this was a response to something. The message of the gospel and the coming of the Spirit... God had come from earth to, and re to rescue and save them, so they devoted himself to his words as if their life depended on them. God had given himself to them, so they gave themselves to each other. God had given them a joy in the Holy Spirit that was better than the joy of money, so they could give it away. 
God had given them the Holy Spirit and made them promises about how he would use them. So they prayed urgently and expected God's presence and power. Are you devoted to this message and these things? If you are, these things will be true about you. You'll be devoted to the message to the church. The, me- the, the measure to which you have given yourself to these things is the me- measure to which we believe the message. If you were to ask me for the last 10 years, what is the greatest thing that troubles me and frustrates me more than anything in church ministry? I would say, and I, I pro- probably almost any pastor would say this, lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. Devoted. And uh, studying for this message, I, I, I came across this. Sociologists say we have a non-devoted age. Commitment. But is that true? A guy can't hold down a job. So he shows up late, leaves early. His heart is not into it. So he takes random days off. You look at that guy and you say, he's got a commitment problem. He's not devoted. Not true. He's just not committed to the job. <laughs> whatever he's committed to is whatever is keeping him from work. He's committed to his personal comfort, his own hobby and interests. Maybe playing Madden or Call of Duty till 3 a.m. That's what he's committed to. Girls, you find a guy who won't, who won't commit. Problem is not that he has trouble with commitment. It's just that he has a trouble committing to you. <laughs> what he's most committed to is his own agenda and his freedom. And you interfere with that right now. His commitment to himself keeps him from his commitment to you. So drop him. <laughs> And let him enjoy his own little selfish, lonely little universe. What are we committed to? That's the question. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. I want to encourage you to commit yourself to the Lord because he has committed himself to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The gospel message is not clean yourself up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's what God did for us. Let him in. Let him in this morning. Let him in this week. Let him into your daily routine. And he will give you the strength and the ability. Let other people in. Let his family in. I put a book on the info table today. It's called Connecting by Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb was a great author. He recently passed away. I got a couple copies. Feel free to pick one of those up. Let me know you grabbed it because I'd like to get it back someday. But uh, anything we can do to help you connect. Not just with God, but with other people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are God and we are not. Thank you that you are a God who is generous, that you love us, and that you were willing to give yourself away for us. Father, I ask God that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would have a hunger for you this summer, that we really would be the church on purpose, that we would be on a mission that we'd be excited, not just to come to church and hear sermons or see other people we know, but to really be used by you to touch other people's lives, God. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and transform us by your message. In Jesus' name, amen.